Victoria Jones and I'm in the business of empowering people to become successful business leaders and influencers. Through this podcast, I want to equip you with the knowledge and inspiration needed to take your own business to the next level, build your brand and fast track your entrepreneurial journey. I'll be interviewing the world's most successful business leaders, innovators and influencers. We'll delve deep into how they kickstarted their business, the tips they've learned along the way and reveal what it takes to succeed. Today, I want to talk to you about advertising, branding and user experience. So how you should be advertising and branding your business and thinking about the customer journey. I don't mean spending thousands of dollars on expensive adverts on TV and outdoors. I mean getting your message out there effectively and driving awareness of your business. I'm chatting to Bonnie McTavish, who is super knowledgeable and experienced in this field, having worked at McCann, Saatchi and Saatchi, founded an award-winning ad agency, and more recently set up our own experienced design studio, Nightjar, which creates digital products and focuses on the user experience for brands such as the iconic Vivid Sydney, which is coming up, Optus and QT Hotels. Welcome, Bonnie. Mm. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. We've just had some carrot cake, so um, (laughs) had a nice little afternoon tea. And um, yeah, we will um, get going. So starting off, Bonnie, um, with Nightjar, how did you come up with the idea for your business? Ah, well, um, so this was about 18 months ago. Um, I had been... Uh, running another business uh, that had run its course and I decided, uh, I, to be quite honest, I wasn't sure I wanted to run another business again. Um, Why was that? Had you been <laughs> totally burnt out? Um, a bit of that. I, I guess you're, there's always a, a little element of the grass is greener as well. So I had considered going back to big agency land because that was my uh, history. That's where I'd been in the past. Uh, we had Saatchi and, and McCann. Um, done our own thing then for five years in between and uh, the opportunity then was just right. It was the, the right uh, scenario was created and the right people came along who are my two current business partners now, Christine and Ahmed. And yeah, we decided to, to take the leap. We kind of said that, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And here we still are 18 months later. Yeah, working with some amazing brands and just want a new client I hear. We did something exciting that I can't really talk about yet but um, but yeah that's the kind of things that make it all, all worthwhile. Yeah because I think that's what lots of people struggle with having the security of corporate job um, yep. working for you know getting your regular paycheck each month and then suddenly you know you go oh gosh how am I going to make money this month and Oh, we definitely had a few of those moments early on. I mean we actually started out uh, to keep our costs very lean. We decided to start working uh, out of Ahmed's apartment down in Bondi. Oh, wow. So Nightjar's first appearance was in an apartment in Bondi, which the landlord still doesn't know about. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it was great. We, we, although it was funny, we'd always say, you know, our parents would call us and they'd say, oh, have you been for a swim today? It's such a beautiful day. We'd be like, we can't. We're so busy. We've actually <laughs> got to do all this work. So... Yeah, I think that's a bit of a myth that businesses (laughs) in Bondi get to go surfing at lunchtime. Oh, definitely. I think in the, in the, we were almost there for a year, I think. And in that whole time, I think we might have gone to the beach twice. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost more painful because you look out the ocean going, Oh, I want to be there. At least we had a nice view, but yeah, it was rare that we, that we did that. But um, yeah, so I guess we, we didn't want to. 
overcapitalized at the beginning. We were quite quite cautious. Um, and then the work started coming in. We started hiring more people. And then we outgrew Bondi. So that's when we're in our current uh, habitat on Crown Street in Surrey Hills, which we're loving. And some of the um, what you'd learned from setting up a business previously, yep. were there some mistakes that you'd learnt from and then... You could not make those same mistakes again. <laughs> oh, that's so funny because I actually thought about this prior to coming here and um, you think that would be the case. You think, oh, I've done that. I've made all those mistakes. I won't make those mistakes again. But you make new mistakes. And yeah. I guess, you know, I like to think that, you know, we talk about making making better mistakes, um, making the right mistakes. And as long as you're always learning and I think making sure that everything is an opportunity to to learn from, that's where most of the magic happens. And you know, nobody's perfect and we all make mistakes and we try really hard at Nightjar to foster a blameless culture and not and not point the finger if, if things go wrong because inevitably they do. Yeah, that's a nice way because so, I've been in so many corporate jobs, well, mm. corporate and media, mm. where um, it's such a blame thing. It's like, oh, I didn't do exactly. that. Or, and you yeah. don't get any good work because I guess at Nightjar we're trying to really push the boundaries in terms of what we do in design and, and tech to come up with really innovative solutions that are answering real real user problems. But if people are scared to make mistakes, they're never going to push the boundaries and you're just going to keep getting back very safe work, which is what we do not want to be known for. We really want to be the ones where clients are saying, wow, they might not always buy that idea. Yeah. Um, but I guess when we also like to, you know, we're very fortunate that we have very close relationships with all of our current partners um, we try to call them partners, not clients as well. Yeah. Um, Why is that just uh, sounds... It's just less transactional and we, we really want to work in collaboration. That's when you get the best work and I think we're we're constantly evolving our current process. We actually had a meeting last night about the creative process because we've just had a couple of um, new staff join and, we are, and every time you have new people or you have a new project and the process alters slightly and it shifts to accommodate for that project. So we're, we're trying to always evolve the process to make sure it's the best that it can be it's good you have a process you know I'm not, it's something that, um, you know when you're starting out yeah. someone actually the girl that's just joined me she was saying oh so how do you how do you manage like an influencer campaign yeah. and um I realized that it it's it's been slightly different each time exactly. and it's not there's not a set process and, I think and there shouldn't be rigid I think there should always be some kind of room for flexibility depending on what that project is but I think that we want to be really rigorous in what we're doing. So, and a lot of what we do um, around achieving results for the brands, because we're very results driven. So, a lot of what we do is needs to be measurable, and we need to have very clear plans about what are your objectives and key results, and how can we actually deliver on those. So, you actually need a plan and a process in place so that you don't miss any steps, so that you make sure you are getting those those results for your partners. So, and are you a process driven? Because I'm not really a process-driven no. person. <laughs> That's Christine, my business partner. Okay. She, she's That's our head of ops and she does a miraculous job, I guess, in corralling us all and hustling us all and making sure we adhere to the process because I'm somewhere in the middle. Then I've got my other business partner, Ahmed, who is our creative and tech genius who is way down the other end of the spectrum. So yeah. between, between the three of us, we make it work and I think that – that is something very cool around our, our partnership and our collaboration with the three of us is that we do all bring something very different to the table and we sort of someone will have strengths where someone else will have weaknesses and we're always trying to 
and yeah, you all are very one another on those. Yeah, and you're obviously all very aware of them. I think. Mm. Do you communicate that amongst the team? You're like, okay, well, you're good at that. So <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. That. Communication is a massive thing for us as well, um, and I think that's something that we've all learned from previous experiences. You need to be open. You need to be communicating. Um, we will have lunch together most days, even if it's just going up onto the roof and eating a sandwich. We always joke that we, we're getting a really good tan over summer. That people would be <laughs> yeah. saying, oh, wow, you guys have spent the summer at the beach. Like, no, just on our rooftop <laughs> having Do you have lunchtime meetings. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> having work, you know, workshops on the roof or whatever. It's so. a good culture to have, isn't it, amongst the founders that you – Definitely. Yeah, go and have a little step away from your desk. Definitely. And, and we're always talking about work. It's, you know, but but because we love it and we are passionate about it. So I think that's and, – and I, I think the reason why we are still passionate about it is because it is this constant learning and always wanting to be better, learning from mistakes, wanting to improve yourself, wanting to work with your team to improve them as well. We do a lot of work with um, mentoring the team and trying to put in place – uh, development plans, how are they going to progress, what are some actual tangible indicators that you are achieving, yeah. achieving your goals. Because everybody wants to come to work and feel like they've achieved something or that they're, that they're getting somewhere, that when you leave, when you walk out the door at 6 p.m., that you know that you've, you've achieved something that, that yeah. day. That's so. a great culture to, to we're, have. Yeah, we're trying. <laughs> Did you, is that something that you'd learned from your last business, that you wanted to have more of a culture in this business and more? Yeah, I think it's it's Go funny. I, I mean, and I came from McCann, Saatchi and Saatchi, and they're all great businesses in terms of they're obviously very renowned for their high-quality product and, and very creative agencies. They've also, had some great campaigns, haven't yeah, they? Yeah. I mean, well, Saatchi, I worked on Toyota for all the, all the time I was there, which was fantastic because you're working on big brands like Hilux. And, was there any um, campaigns that? listeners might have heard of you know the, or seen oh from what did we oh um oh Camry we had quite a funny one which was calling all the heroes which was a bit of a piss take actually about about dads and uh, how Camry is so uncool we actually decided to just embrace how uncool it was because previously the strategy had always been around you know Camry powerful you know beauty all the rest of it when it's really it's a Camry yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's um it's a fleet of taxis so the best um, thing just to call, I know, um, was it Subaru? They basically decided they were realized that it was mainly lesbians driving their yeah, cars, right. so then yeah. they did a whole campaign, yeah, yeah, um, marketed at lesbians. Saying, yeah, it's interesting. Know, I actually saw it, I went to the French film festival last night, and um, obviously, all French ads. <laughs> and so, there was an ad for Renault, the yeah. French car company, and They've obviously discovered that their niche or the people who drive Renaults are a little bit offbeat or it's like when we were working on Toyota for the Prius, so people who choose to drive a Prius are a little bit different or like to consider themselves a little bit oh, you know, left in the middle. And so the Renault campaign last night in the French movie was just all around embracing that quirkiness, which, yeah. is, which is quite nice. So they've recognised that in their target audience. <laughs> mm. Is that something that you do when you're working on a campaign as well for a client? You look at a K. Who's their target audience? Yeah, definitely. Because often I say to people a lot when they're starting their business, have yeah. you defined who your actually yes. your ideal customer is? Exactly. Because that's who you need to picture all the time. I know in exactly. magazine land, um, we would have we would literally have on the wall their editor did it like the whole life story of this woman, Julie, yes. who was yep. our reader. Your we knew persona. what food yeah. she liked, yep. we knew. Yep. And I do think that's a good exercise to do yeah. is to work out 
what does this person look like that I'm actually speaking to? Mm. We do a lot of that. So now Nightjar, we're... Um, I no longer, you know, live in the advertising world. We're, we're more around a design studio. So we focus a lot on UX, which is the user experience. So yeah. looking at digital. So we mostly build websites, um, things like chatbots, um, apps. Um, and a lot of that is around the choosing, a, you know, identifying a persona. So what you've just described with Julie, she's she's a persona. And yeah. so knowing right, right down to the granular level of what she eats, what she watches on TV, what time she goes to bed, you know, what are all the media channels that are her touch points, whatever. So we do a lot of um, journey mapping in UX for yeah. clients as well. So working out where that, um, you know, what the customer journey looks like. So as soon as they engage with the product. Exactly. And do you do it all the way to conversions? like... Yeah. So, would- so, for example, at the moment, we're so as you mentioned, we're working with Vivid. Um, the Vivid uh, website has gone live in its first iteration. Don't look at it yet because it's going to be even more beautiful in another couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Just before, because the festival is coming up shortly. Um, but we worked with them. Well, we're currently working through actually in terms of journey mapping and what the um, what that experience is in terms of the touch points because we're looking at their ECRM strategy. So. You know, when are we sending out EDMs to people if we're trying to get them to sign up for a profile because that's going to give them all these benefits of My Vivid where they can select calendar events, they can favourite certain events, they can share this calendar with their friends because often that was an insight that we uncovered as well is that often people want to share these events and calendars with with friends because it's very hard to try and coordinate people, especially if you're trying to coordinate a large group of girlfriends like I always seem to be doing. (laughs) so, yeah, so we worked with them on doing the full journey map, I guess you'd say, as and as you said, like what's the awareness, acquisition, conversion? So what are all the points where we can actually touch people and hit them with a message on the website or an EDM and, and get them to convert, as you said? Yeah, I think that's really important because so many people when they start a website, and I've done this in the past, it's been like, oh, I must create something really beautiful mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and obviously it looks amazing, but they actually haven't thought, okay, well, what happens when my customer lands on this website? Like, what am I actually trying to get them to do? Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, do you think that would be a good point for people that are starting their own business, creating yeah. a website, like, actually think about, Definitely. okay, what's my what's the user journey here? And even taking a step further back, we just ran this workshop on Monday um, and another one yesterday, actually, uh, where it's really about, and I guess UX is very much around identifying the user needs and what's the problem that you're solving because you know there's this joke that everyone always says oh you know build me an app we're like why you don't need <laughs> yeah. an app <laughs> it sounds good doesn't it i'm developing an app <laughs> <laughs> who's going to use it have you thought about who the target is and do they want an app because you might think it's cool to make an app but is anybody actually going to use it because you know when you look at data that it's almost impossible to get onto someone's home screen they will have about 10 apps that they are using all the time majority of which are messaging messaging apps and then yeah. of social media apps as well people don't need to download another app so if you can achieve what you want to achieve without having an app that's brilliant yeah um, you know we're, we're working with with optus at the moment we, we'd worked with them previously on a, on a campaign using a chatbot so that was the insight that we noticed that you know people are already using this channel why are we trying to drive people to the my optus app that they might not be um, you There's know, no using need. as frequently, whereas we know they're on Facebook Messenger, 
24-7. Australia actually has one of the highest penetrations of messenger use. Oh, does it? Facebook Messenger. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting, actually. We saw, met a guy randomly in a cafe the other day from Facebook um, and we were talking about this because Australia gets a lot of the beta testing happens here. So a lot of feature releases on Messenger will happen in Australia. Oh, they'll test I've, them on I us. I did know that we get product launch, tested yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they'll but launch them globally if, if they're a success. So because we have such a, yeah large user base here and a really high penetration. We just love Messenger. So Right. So then that's where I think, yeah, looking at where, what your platform your customers are on, exactly. I think obviously it's quite overwhelming, isn't it? You think, okay, should I be on Instagram or Facebook or, yes. yeah, developing an app to talk to my yep. Yep. Um, target customer? But and it's look different. at where they are. Yeah, exactly right. So, uh, you know, the, this customer, um, customer this um, brand who we've just started working with, they have a huge Instagram following, but then Facebook really wanes in comparison. So it's just, you know, a lot of their content is far more visual. So Instagram is a better medium for them. And yeah. it's more immediate, I guess, than than Facebook. So And would you say that focus on the medium that is that, you know, the one where your customers are, the one that lends itself to your brand message the best, rather than trying to do everything? What would be your Yeah, I think advice? and a lot of time I spend a lot of time on Google Analytics as well, figuring out what parts of even what parts of the site people are going to because Another thing when you're building a website, people think, oh, we want all this content, we have to have this on here, we have to have this on here. But in reality, so, you know, for example, say you're building a restaurant website, understanding that the use case is really people want to either find a phone number to call and book or just be able to book directly online with the book button and maybe see a menu. Yeah. You know, they don't want the whole history of the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, they don't so want all, the, all these other tabs or links or, you know, clicks to get through. And yeah, I think actually, we overcomplicate We things. definitely do. And we've actually just done the big job you mentioned QT Hotel so we were working with um, event hospitality so they own QT um, Ridges Hotels and Atura Hotels as well as Threadbow and we've just done a massive UX overhaul on the Ridges and QT websites so and then we've designed and then they, they are being currently that to help, in development to help people book basically exactly just, and that's yeah. exactly what it was like they were noticing that people weren't converting um, and we did a bit of an audit and the site was pretty confused when you went there there was several places where you could click to book it's not a very clear linear process for the user i think the biggest the biggest thing that we always talk about in in digital i guess is is frictionless and making things seamless and frictionless because people use frictionless apps. i haven't heard that oh, right so it's it's quite a common term i guess when you think about the apps that people are using every day yeah like uber like airbnb they are so simple. The, a misconception is also often that simple is easy. That yeah. it's very easy to make. Something I think it's simple. a lot harder to it's, simplify something. Actually, exactly right. It's yeah. you know it's that that quote that I love is you know I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. You know, it's this <laughs> idea that no, to strip stuff back actually takes so much more time. And you think about how many designers and developers and the huge teams they have working on products like Uber and Airbnb. But that's that's the interface. That's what we're used to these days. We're used to that very seamless interaction. So as soon as you have um, a brand experience where a user or a customer has to perform, you know, too many clicks or gets bounced out to another page, you've lost them. So yeah. people, even load speeds on, you know, it's something like three seconds or something people will give you before they bounce from a site. So gosh, you, it's, yeah, it's crazy. You've got that people few seconds very, to capture the attention. People have very, very high expectations these days. So yeah, yeah, so that's, that's about making sure that everything we try and do is putting the user first and putting yourself in the user's, user's shoes. Yeah. 
And then you think that's where you get cut through because obviously it's quite, you know, at the moment there's just so many different apps out there, mediums to promote your brand. To get that cut through and to have raving fans around your brand, what what would you say is the top tip or something? So difficult question. Um, I think for us in, in what we do, um, it is very much about the the frictionless experience, as I, as I said before. Yeah, making it easy. I think. Um, I also a lot of what we we do is about beauty as well and beautiful design. And I think you know sometimes we, when we talk to some people, they say, "Oh, but it's just a it's just a B two B website." I'm like they're still users, they're still consumers. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's still. And I think people have an appreciation for beautiful design, and I think that's something that has. Shifted. That will never change, though, yeah, will it? Yeah, and I, well, I think even more so now that it, and good design is very accessible in terms of everything. I think now, you know, furniture as well, and um, I, I feel like people have a, a better eye or a better appreciation for it these days, and digital products are, are no different. Um, so, yeah, so I guess it's for us it's beauty tempered with functionality, really. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Use that when you're tired. I think. <laughs> We're trying to come up with a, a USP for Nightjar, so yeah, maybe that's it. Beauty tempered with functionality. And are you constantly having to be at the forefront of here? What's the next platform someone's going to use or what's the next? Yes, definitely. How do you stay on top of those yeah. trends that are ever evolving? Yes, very, very good question. That's lucky we have Ahmed. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of wonderful um, developers who we work with, but... We, the way we position ourselves to our partners as well is really about being future-facing. So there used to be, in the old days, a lot of building of campaign websites, you know, the word microsite, where people yeah. just build something and it's literally for that specific campaign and then it's junk. You know, a week later it's gone and it's forgotten. What a waste of SEO and... Oh, yeah. what a, and everybody's time and energy and money. So so that's what we try to do stuff. We try to work on with our with our partners to move away from that campaign mentality and to deliver digital products that will last into the future and that will are uh, always at the most forward you know cutting edge of tech because everything moves so fast in this in this space yeah um so we really do try to ensure that um that we are ahead of the trends but i mean doing things for the right reason as well not not tech for tech's sake i guess it's around working with our partners and, and figuring out what their needs actually are and not over engineering as well. I think not overselling a solution if what they actually need is quite simple. Yeah. So, and what do you think about the whole AI um, <laughs> movement coming? Yeah, and yeah. is that uh, something you get asked a lot by some of your um, partners? No. Yeah. I guess AI. So it's all really about automation. So, and we do have these conversations with with our partners around how can we automate their businesses. So, for example, you know we're working with a couple of clients at the moment who are. Uh, retailers, online retailers, um, and how do they? How do we help them automate the process to take the pressure off their sales team? For example, how do we automate all of their EDM so that everything's smarter? Oh, so all that, that marketing would be great to automate a lot. You know, totally, and, and it's and it's all all the information's there. You know, we we have so much data on people. How do we actually then pull it in, make it useful, and then spit and it still out make again? it authentic? I think that's yeah, the thing. Yeah. Still make it. Yeah, because no one wants to feel like they're just getting a robot speaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And that's interesting as well because talking about bots is, as I was saying, we do a lot of chatbot stuff. So I'm actually going to a meeting this afternoon with Reach Out, 
who's the mental health charity, and they're working on a um, we're working on a project with them. They they currently have a tool called Next Step, um, which is about identifying for, for young people, 18 to 25, identifying if they're having struggling with mental health issues and trying to just put a put a name around those and help them understand their feelings and then give them some proposed solutions, some support options. But, you know, we're, we're looking around how you can deliver those. And, again, you know, chatbot technology makes sense because it's very conversational, it's in the palm of your hand. Yeah. Um, that is where, where people are. Um, and it's just very, very easy. So yeah, that's a hard one though, too, isn't it? Because you you're dealing with people's mental health issues, and you can only there's a lot of ethics around. Yeah, you exactly. Know, Bang have... on. We've just done all the user research as well, which is what I'm presenting the Savo, and um, even things like use of emojis. You know, some of the emojis might cause a trigger. That, yeah. You know, if or, or you might on the other end, you might be too flippant. And when these are actually serious issues, so and then and obviously there's a severity scale with these with how people are feeling. So, um, you know, you you might be in a quite a high level of distress. So that's when you need to be able to offer the right the right support options. Yeah, and maybe a human can only tell that at the moment, but you know, yeah. bots might become yeah savvy yeah. enough <laughs> to go to. <laughs> They're coming. It's we'll the all have bot therapists and yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. Well, we're doing. We're working with AR at the moment as well, so a bit of augmented reality. Yeah. Which at first I thought was a real gimmick when it came out, you know, however many years ago. Um, but it's interesting now that we can do a bit more with it, and you can actually integrate it more easily. Well, it's more accessible now too. Um, but just, I guess that's, and that's the thing with any new tech is how do you make it valuable, not just a gimmick? How do you actually make it useful and, and something yeah. that people want to engage with that makes your brand stand out and and be memorable. And will it be sustainable for, you know, the long term? Like, I do wonder how long will Instagram be around for? Mm, or are these mm. questions you get asked by your partners as well? Like, which which platform should I be investing in? Like, yeah, which? we for us at the moment probably it's more around tech. So, should I be investing in this um, in this technology? Uh, as I said, we try to do everything very future facing. Um, so will this still be around? And the problem as well with that, and I guess, you know, if you think about going to back to your world of Instagram and social, when when new social platforms roll out, there's always like that hesitation, or oh, is it going to be, be around or do I just stay with the tried and true? Yeah. That's kind of what we're working with at the moment. There's a, there's a CMS that we're looking at using for a client, but it's not hugely widely adopted yet so it's a little bit of that oh do we do we run with it or is that is that risky um and i guess yeah with instagram it's i feel like there's a bubble that may burst with with instagram i but i think that's just also apps and digital usage in general there's a movement towards digital detoxes and and not spending so much time on your phone at night um, connecting offline like I think exactly. you know when we do workshops exactly. and live events people love that because they want yes, that that face to face yeah. and, and it's very easy and I think a lot of people are getting fed up with all the fake followers and the trolling and the and also oh shit look how perfect everyone else's life is <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's changing that was chatting mm. yeah for another podcast um yeah. Lola Berry she was talking about you know staying authentic yes. and yeah um those people always win out in the end mm, because yep. the others fizzle which is out. Good to hear. Or, yeah, which I think, um, yeah, with anyone running their own business, I think the key is you've got to be prepared to evolve and mm-hmm. just constantly keep, you always know, learning. Yeah, yes. learning yes. and 
being responsive to, yeah. to new things. You can't just stick with one thing and be like, right, nailed this, that's it. Exactly. And that's something we try to do, even with our own internal, as I said, we're always trying to update our process, even the tools we use. You know, if something comes out and we say, oh, hang on, but we currently use, you know, at the moment we use Slack or whatever for internal comms. If something came out that was better, we'd give it a go. You know, we're always about trying and evolving and, and doing what is um yeah, what's ultimately going to be the best. Yeah, which is why businesses need to keep innovating and innovating because there's often something else will come mm. will come out that's going to... But it's hard be- as well. That's innovating and changing is really scary because we've done, you know, with a few a few of our partners lately, um, they're on, you know, legacy systems or, no, we've always done it that way. Someone actually said to us the other day, we've always done it this way. And did you exactly? That's <laughs> yeah. why we won't be doing it that way because it's not good the way they're currently doing it. But it's scary, and change always has a certain amount of um, friction, I guess, with it. But we're just trying to put ourselves in a position where we create that level of trust with our partners, where they actually they know that we're we're doing things for the right reason, and and we've got to bring them on the journey with us a little bit. But it, but in the end, it's all. It's all to get the, the best results for them and their and their customers. Yeah, well, keeping that risk, and I think running your own business, it's a risk. Mm. Yes, and you've got to yes. keep. Yeah, you can't get stuck in your ways, basically. Yes, um, I know you have to go, so we, it's a short podcast. Oh, good. Got to rush um, off and present some research findings. So. <laughs> um, we'll just end with our final five questions. So Ooh, it's right. just whatever comes to your head. First up, that's the right answer. <laughs> All right. Uh, number one, <laughs> the biggest challenge hurdle you've overcome? Oh, my goodness. Um, there's challenges and hurdles every day, I think, with running your own business. Um, but as I said, just making sure that you're always always learning from them. Um, yeah. Yep. Number two, daily habit that helps you stay motivated. Oh, my God. Well, I'd like to say yoga every morning because I went this morning, but it's the first time I've been in a week. Um, Carrot cake, that that was good. Carrot cake. I try to stick to two coffees a day. Um, I don't know. I guess that's when we come into the studio in the morning, we're generally all in a pretty good vibe. And um, Christine, Ahmed and myself will generally have a bit of a debrief in the morning where we lay out what we're doing for the day. Um, Our producer, Bo, will will also... um, you know, lay out what everyone's doing. And I think knowing what you're doing in advance of that day helps keep you on track and then, yeah. Keeps yeah, you a little morning motivational exactly. chat. Exactly, yeah. Um, advice to your younger self? <laughs> um, why didn't you keep that fur coat of mom's? <laughs> uh-huh. um, <laughs> I'll just do what makes you happy. And I think if you're ever in a situation where you're not, you know, don't feel stuck, you need to change things. A good habit or skill to develop in business? Ooh. Uh, personal relationships. I think it really is. Everything comes down to um, our relationships with our clients and our partners, and we see them more as friends. They're people we, you know, we, of, we often say this, they're people that we'd want to actually go out and have a drink with and have dinner with. Which um, you do a lot, I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we do, but we love it. And I think it's, you know, to, to actually be able to put work away to the side and then really connect with people is, yeah. is really valuable. And I've made some fantastic friends over the years that way. I think that's really nice. And other people haven't touched on that point before mm. in, in podcasts. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah, personal relationships. That's Definitely. People want to do business with people they yeah. like, don't that's they? That's exactly right. You absolutely nailed it. Vic, couldn't have said it better um, myself. And lastly, finish this sentence, an influencer is dot, dot, dot. 
someone with a life better than mine. <laughs> Although I've got to say, now that I've got my dog's Instagram, I'm spending a lot more time on the dog, on the dog, uh, on the dog channels. And uh, what's your dog's Instagram for <laughs> people that want to follow? Oh, it's Graham the Griffin. Um, but uh, oh, an influencer would be uh, Squid the Griff, who's the same type of breed of dog as, <laughs> as Graham, and he's got. God, a couple of hundred thousand followers, I think. So wow. what's your what's your uh, thoughts on animal influencers? Animal influencers. Um I'm not a huge pet lover myself. Oh, so I don't, you don't like dogs. Um <laughs> but I do I'm starting to like dogs. It's just a fear thing from being yeah. bitten when I was younger. But yeah. I would say I'd say they're great. There's a pig one that I follow, mm. these cute mm-hmm. little pigs. Oh, how cute. Um, Graham will have to follow them. And yeah, I think you can start I know that um Nagi, who I work with, Australia's yes. top food blogger, she her dog Dozer has his uh, own profile now. I've looked at that before. And yes, um, people yes. now say, Nagi, you can't do your recipes without putting a picture of Dozer. Picture of Dozer, how cute. And so I've said let's start partnering with Pet Care and, and Pet Barn and some of these pet brands Definitely. and you can start making some Definitely. Um, money as well for yes. these um, get dogs better products. So if Graham's one builds up enough of a following, <laughs> come and chat to me about ha- brand partnerships. He'll be happy to. He, um, he loves posing for the camera. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to hear more interviews on how to start, grow and scale your business or simply write a review and email your feedback to me at vic at upsiders.co. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks, Vix. Bye.